0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, uh, Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, I want uh, to invite you to turn there. We're going to uh, finish up our um, thinking about uh, the four different themes of Advent a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago actually, I should have brought this up earlier, Um, three weeks ago we started with Um, We started with um, the candle of hope. And again, if you've never been around during this time, uh, we as a church family, we light these candles as kind of, we light these candles, there we go, as these kind of visual cues uh, for us to remember these particular themes. And the theme of hope says, um, we can endure what is real today because of something that is coming we can stay true, we can stay loyal, we can stay faithful, we can continue to do the things that God wants us to do because of not the circumstances today, because of what's coming. That's hope. And then we um, lit the candle of peace. Peace is the, uh, not, not tranquility, peace is uh, the reality of we are settled, um, connected to God and to the God who rules the universe. Um, and so it may be chaos around us, but we're connected to God. And because of that, through Jesus, uh, we have peace with him. And then uh, last week we lit the candle of joy. One more time, for those of you who weren't here, why is the candle of joy pink? The answer is, I don't know. I have no idea. Nobody really knows. I swear it's because they ran out of purple wax. I really do. I think that's the issue. However, that's the candle of joy. Um, And the candle candle of joy reminds us, last week from uh, the the passage in Luke chapter 2, Simeon in his song, that God blessed him, and then he was a blessing. But what what happens in that cycle is, uh, blessed to be a blessing runs through um, the little town called Joy. We are blessed, therefore we experience joy. And because we experience joy, it's so effusive that it pours out of us. We are a blessing. And then this week, um, to close out our Advent series, we light the candle of love. And today we're going to look at uh, a passage in Luke chapter 4. Now, this is not kind of normal Christmas passage stuff, uh, but because it's Jesus um, and specifically... um, because it's Jesus describing what he came to do and what he was going to do um, as the rest of the story unfolds. This is an important Christmas passage. Three different times in the in the New Testament, uh, the Bible describes God um, with, a, with a particular attribute where it just, God is blank. And so um, sometimes it's God is a something or God is like a something, but this in particular, God is blank. God is spirit, meaning there's, he, is, um, he doesn't have a, a body that he's bound to. He's immaterial in that. way and a powerful force as a result of that personality uh, empowered. Uh, God is light. First John chapter one. And because he's light in him, there is no darkness at all. That meaning there's no imperfection, no problems, no little uh, glitches, uh, none of that. God is light. And then lastly, probably the most famous one. God is anybody? Love, love. First John chapter 4. In fact, it says it twice in First John chapter 4. John's trying to drive it home. Meaning what? Uh, that everything that God is, is love. And so um, the w- only way I know to describe this is some of us are doing baking, cooking, that kind of thing in preparation. Yeah, everybody for you do know it's Christmas. Yes. Just make sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, I, I know Vicky down here does this. I do not. I've never tried to make gumbo before. But um, as I understand this whole process, the roux is really important. Is that right? Okay, okay. so she's giving me the nod that she knows because she knows. She's from New Orleans. She knows, okay, people? just She's expert. Um, I know nothing about this. Uh, and, and I know that I don't eat gumbo and think, man, what a roux. You know what I mean? Like that is... But I do know that if you don't have it right, it can, it can uh, flavor the rest of it in ways that aren't necessarily awesome. Therefore, when we talk about this... I, th- this is kind of what we're talking about. Like there is something so foundational and so basic to the mix when it comes to God that it flavors everything else. So you want to know what God's mercy is like. It is a loving mercy. You, you want to know it, the, the faithfulness of God and what, how that expresses itself. It expresses itself as a loving faithfulness. How about his fatherhood? His fatherhood is a loving fatherhood. His, his grace to us is a loving grace. His kindness to us is a loving kindness. And even folks, even his anger, even his anger is a loving anger. And you think, how can love and anger be? Because it's not anger that's the opposite of love. Indifference. Indifference is the opposite of love. So God is love. And everything we're going to see here is done because of love. Luke chapter four, verse 16. He came to Nazareth. By the way, if you're a user of the Bible app, I forgot to say this. If you're a user of the Bible app, please open that app and uh, follow along with our live event. It'll have all this in there. He came to Nazareth, that's Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So Jesus uh, comes into the synagogue this is how he normally rolls. He goes to church. Uh, he gets up, gets his people together, whoever his people may be. He was like, let's go. Um, gets into the parking lot. Doesn't yell at his kids because he doesn't have any kids, which is one way that he's different than you and me. And then he steps in, yeah? Didn't. That didn't. Okay, I was just wondering. I didn't know. Jesus comes to church. And, and when he does, there's readings. In this particular worship service, there's readings from the different parts of the Old Testament. Uh, and in, in this particular case, he stood up to read from the prophet Isaiah, verse 17. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me uh, to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty or free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the years, the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll And gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now... That's a profound statement. We'll um, try to uh, unload that a little bit. But um, what you need to know is that because God is love, everything that he does is love. And and, and furthermore, um, the, the, the focus of this particular passage is the things, or are the things that Jesus is going to do as his ministry unfolds. And all of it will be done in love. He's saying that this passage in Isaiah 61 is about him. He's just getting up. He's like, hey, I'm going to read from the book of Isaiah. Here it is. And by the way, that's me is talking about. The spirit of the Lord, Jesus is saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. We've seen this in the baptism story where Jesus goes down into the water, comes back up. What happens? The spirit descends on him like a dove. And then the father speaks the blessing. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The spirit is upon him and he has anointed me, meaning he has chosen me. I am the the appointed representative to accomplish what God wants in this moment to bring his promises of a Messiah to fulfillment. That's me, Jesus is saying. So because of all of this, it's all done. It's all done in love. Here's what Jesus came to do. Let's back up to verse 18. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Here we go. First thing he came to do in love. First thing he came to do is to proclaim good news to the poor. He came to proclaim good news um, to the poor. Um, When we see that, uh, the poor are not exclusively economic, but that includes them. Okay. Um, there are other versions of poverty in the first century and there are other versions of poverty today, um, gathered in our particular room in our particular, um, side of Houston, uh, Southeast, um, suburbs here. Uh, we probably are not experiencing poverty as they did back then. Um, but we have our own versions of it in our day and in our age, it expresses itself, uh, in several different ways in their day and their age, it expresses itself, but it does include, uh, those who were poor. And it's not exclusively so, but but it is um, a a part of that expression. Uh, People who couldn't necessarily own land or uh, they would work for their wage. And then the the, uh, employer would say, hey, you know what? I'm a little short today. I'll pay you tomorrow. Well, that messes some folks up. If you're counting on leaving work and going by the market to pick up the last day's piece of bread so that you can feed your family that night. So we have all of this kind of dynamic um, at work. I say that because in study this week, I got a little um, torqued uh, uh, b- by encountering some of the things that other people have said. One of the ways that this gets perverted in America and in the Western, um, I won't even say in the Western church, but in the Western thought um, that, that uh, hovers around and orbits around Christianity um, is for people to say, and I heard somebody say this. I won't say this person's name. I will give you a couple more quotes, but I don't want to give this person any more PR. They, they, they say, this is what they say. The spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus and God anointed him to preach good news to the poor. And the good news to the poor is they don't have to be poor anymore. Oh, please help us. (laughs) There are perversions of the good news that says God has grabbed somebody in economic poverty and brought them out. And I'll just read you a few from this same person. But Jesus was poor, someone argued. This is a direct quote. You're living in a dream world if you believe that. Have you ever been to a casino? Have you ever heard a gambler say, I'm putting all my money on those old used clothes? They don't gamble for rags, yet the Bible says that Roman soldiers gamble for Jesus' clothes. His clothes must have been pretty nice. Oh, help us. He also had a full-time staff of 12 and a part-time staff of 70. Jesus rode what I like to call a continental donkey, one of those Cadillac donkeys that had never been ridden before. You might want a car that has never been driven. You ever think about that? This is serious, people. Like this person is making millions of dollars and had the gall to ask his uh, the people who follow him for $54 million so he could buy a private jet and fly around and preach this junk. This is maybe my favorite. All my life I've heard people say, you want your pie in the sky and eat it too. That's true, I do. But for you to act properly in heaven, you have to learn some things on earth. If I've never lived in a mansion, how will I know how to act once I get there? I do not have the Christmas spirit for this kind of junk, okay? I don't think we should either. Why? Because the good news that Jesus came to preach is that nobody gets overlooked. Not that He somehow will help you get ready to live in heaven in a mansion by giving you a mansion today. That's crap all right? Let's just be clear. His message is nobody gets overlooked. Those who normally get overlooked because they don't earn as much, because they aren't able to step into some places, because they aren't able to communicate or be a part of a a social structure that's a little broader um, than, than just a very, very, very small group. Listen, his message is nobody gets overlooked. Church, family, there's nobody in our lives who's overlooked by Jesus. When he comes to proclaim good news, that's the news that he's proclaiming. There's not a single person who gets overlooked. Nobody, nobody. They are not exclusively economic. And the good news to that whole group is that nobody gets overlooked. Um, we won't put the little graphic up, but last, last week we, we um, did a little thing where we talked about Um, a a culture of invitation. People who we as a church family are just regularly inviting people to church because nobody gets overlooked. And then maybe, just maybe, we get to share, uh, tell our story about how God has done good for us. And then maybe to share the gospel with them. Nobody gets overlooked. What if we lived that way? What if you specifically lived that way? What if your circumstance was prime for you to live that way? It's not as if the world out there um, is, is, is worse than it's ever been. Folks, it's always been bad out there. But Jesus said the fields are white on harvest. And so please pray, not for a harvest, but what? For people to go out into the harvest and get it done. What if we live that way? God, help us not to let anyone in our lives be overlooked. He came to proclaim good news and he did so out of love. Nobody gets overlooked. Uh, Second phrase, the middle of verse 18. Proclaim good news to the poor. That is, nobody's overlooked. He sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to the captives. So proclaim liberty. Captives are people who are held against their will. First century, you either committed a crime or... You uh, owed a debt. Uh, either way, uh, you, you got um, kind of incarcerated until something could be paid off—a a debt to society or a debt to a particular person. These are people who are held against their will. Here's a question: um, Do guilty people deserve um, that kind of uh, incarceration and punishment? And the answer is, of course, yes. They're guilty. Um, I grew up in Huntsville, 90 miles north of here, prison city, USA. Like five prisons in the city limits, eight within the county. I mean, like this is uh, this was a normal thing for me. I've had the opportunity to be in prison, uh, to, to preach even a couple of times in those kind of environments. And really, I mean, people think, oh, well, there are people who are wrongly uh, jailed. That's true. But the fact that there are a couple who are wrongly jailed, actually, uh, th- that exception proves the rule that everybody that you're talking to in that moment's guilty. And they know it. The good news, I mean, th- they would much rather get out. They're held against their will in some senses. But they deserve rightly to be there. The good news, Jesus said, is that the debt has been paid. For us spiritually, who because of our sin and because of the choices that we made, because of the things that are true in our lives and the darkness that creeps in, for, for those of us to whom that applies, and it applies to everybody, Jesus speaks this word of good news, the debt is paid. The debt is paid. You don't have to work it off. You don't have to pay, uh, spend your time and, and make sure that you do your time the debt, the debt has been paid. This is the message that he gives. What are we talking about here? Spiritual liberty? Yes, absolutely. Yes, a freedom that comes when you and I can stand before God and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that out of your love for me, the good news is my debt is paid. Yes. Emotional liberty? Absolutely. Yes, all of those things are true. Here's what's also true, though. It assumes in Jesus saying this, when he says, um, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then later he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, meaning me, I'm, f- I'm doing the fulfilling. Jesus is saying what he's assuming there. And this is the assumption of the text. And frankly, it's the assumption of the whole book. What, he, what he's assuming there is, there is no liberty, no true freedom apart from Jesus. There's a world out there that says, uh, if you can live, if you can figure out how to live without restraint, that is true freedom. Number one, a life without restraint, there's no such thing. That's just a reality. But but secondly, a, a life that is lived as pretending as if there's no restraint um, really is just anarchy and pain and bondage and, and disruption. And I'll just give you this example. We talked about cooking earlier. Um, you in your house, maybe it's kids or grandkids, um, as you're cooking, you could say, hey, the stove is hot. They could walk over and go, huh, I'm living life without restraints, let's see. And in that moment, what would they figure out? There is no such thing as life without constraints and restraints. Like, and, and furthermore, you thou, and the rest of your life for that day would be disrupted because of what has happened right? And so it, it is not solely, it is not solely, uh, God, uh, you know, I can just do what I want to do and, and live without the consequences. That is not freedom. Freedom is this. Um, freedom is uh, when we live, we have the opportunity to live a transformed life within God's directive wisdom. He looks at you and me and says, Hey kids, the stove is hot. And the freedom comes not in touching it and experiencing it for yourself. The freedom comes in going, Oh, Okay. I probably don't want to burn myself. Two different passages I'll give you. You can write these down and go look them up later. Psalm 119 verse 44 and 45. Um, in, in the Psalm, David pins, and he says, your precepts, your word to me, is like a, it's like a big wide open place. And the more I learn to live in your word, the more I get to experience this big wide open place. People think, oh, well, God's just here to steal all my joy and take all this stuff and make sure that I just walk a very. No, 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 no. It's, it, he gives us a wide open place. Jesus in John chapter 8 said it this way um, You will be my disciples if you abide in my word. So you want to be a disciple, we're going to intake his word and let it stick inside of us. Um, and furthermore, that if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. And what happens with the truth? What's it say? The truth will set you free. Set you free. This this is liberty. This is freedom. A transformed life lived within God's directed wisdom. He's making the assumption there is no freedom apart from Jesus. He came out of love to proclaim good news to the poor, and the good news is nobody gets overlooked. He, claimed, he came uh, to proclaim freedom, liberty to the captives. And the good news is the debt has been paid verse, or excuse me, in the middle of verse 18 still, uh, the recovery of sight to the blind. He grants sight and there's two ways he does this. Number one, the light of the world shows up and uh, we can see as a result of that. Jesus said in John eight, right before the passage, we just quoted that he was the light of the world. And in this particular case, what we're talking about here is that like, I mean, anybody have this experience where they have to get up in the middle of the night and get something, do something, whatever, and you're just, you're just glad that there's a little bit of light in the room so you don't faceplant into the dresser? I mean, it can be a nightlight, it can be the moon, it can be whatever. You just like, you hold your phone up and you're like, please don't let me trip on anything, whatever it may be. But you have that moment where you're like, oh, I'm so grateful that there's a little bit of light because not only can I see the light as a result of that, but I also can see everything else. This, this is what Jesus shows up to do. Not only do we get to see him, he's the light of the world, but also by him, we get to see what's actually true in the world. Not only do we get to see him, but we get to see everything else as well. Light in the darkness, but not just light, but sight. I mean, that's what he came to say, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. There was a place, a time where, spiritually speaking, and, and, um, uh, the, boy, I mean, is it true? Where we could not truly discern what was true and what was false. We could not, um, discern what was good and what was evil, what was real and what was illusion. We could not discern, um, what was wisdom and what was folly. Why? Because we were blind. And Jesus comes to give us sight, to let us see him, to let us see the world by him. And for us, for physically, I mean, spiritually, excuse me, not physically, spiritually, spiritually see what is true versus what is false. And sometimes, folks, it's hard to see, to see what's real and what's an illusion, to see what's good and what's evil, to see what is wisdom, And what's foolishness? He gives us light, yes, but he also gives us sight so that we can actually determine that's the case. The good news is it's not just uh, light, but it's also sight. And lastly, in verse 18, that last phrase there, to set at liberty, to free those who are oppressed. Now, far from being a captive, um, those who are oppressed have um, pressure, if you will, from the outside. There's an external force um, that is pressing on them, kind of keeping them in place, um, uh, if you will, uh, uh, using them for their own good and you are under its power. It is an exploitive, uh, exploitative kind of force that, that comes on us. And we see this in our world where there is darkness out there that um, is at work um, against the things that ought to be. And Jesus says, I understand that there is an oppression here. I came to proclaim freedom to those who are externally oppressed, to those who are under the power of a force that keeps us in place and under its power and is using us for its own end. There are forces of darkness at work um, in our world, and Jesus came to proclaim freedom to that. What that means is out of his love when he proclaims that freedom, Um, You are not defined by or bound to patterns of thinking or acting, living. You're not bound to those things anymore. It it may take a while for you to figure that out and for you to appropriate it in your life, but you're not bound to that anymore. If we uh, brought a chair up here and put one of these teenagers in it for fun, we tied them all up and like, you know, and we say, get up. And then they all struggle, can't do it. Why? Because they're bound. They're not free. And then you go in and you, you, you cut the rope that's holding them there. And then you say, get up. And they're like, well, I, I'm, but I'm not free. Well, yeah, you are. You just don't quite know it yet. You just haven't figured it out yet. You just haven't come to the point where it's, the the, the reality is your now experience. And all of a sudden they find, okay, I do, I can get up. I, I can find the strength to do so. I, I told you um, a little more. Uh, realistic picture. I told you, um, I grew up um, prison city, USA. Uh, my brother is still pretty involved in prison ministry. And uh, this past weekend or week, I guess, uh, went up uh, to a graduation uh, for folks from the stride program. Uh, these are ladies, in fact, took one of our former church members uh, with him and got to go to prison and they got out. I mean, that's the other part, right? It's good news. Uh, they go to this program. The stride program is is prepping these uh, folks for release, because, and Travis, is, my brother, has spent uh, multiple years in multiple um, kind of avenues uh, to try to reduce recidivism. And um, uh, uh, the, p- part of the deal is they want to prepare them for what is coming so that they can appropriate their new freedom. So they can live in the freedom that they have and not come back. That's the whole point. Become productive members of society and not rehash and return Um, into the the places where they currently find themselves. So they got to go to this graduation and celebrate uh, these women, um, not only uh, taking these courses and readying themselves, but also just man releases right around the corner from them. What a cool thing. What a great picture of what Jesus has come to do, to proclaim freedom. We're no longer bound to patterns of thinking um, or living. Uh, Last phrase here in verse 19. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's motivating factor is his good and delightful love for us. It is his favor. That, you want to know why God's doing what he's doing? It's because of his good and delightful love for us. And you think, well, I thought he was doing it because I was so great. Well, you may be pretty great, but that's not why he's doing it. You may be terrible, but that's not why he's doing it. God's doing it because this is what delights God. It is free. And because it can't be earned, because it can't be warranted, because it can't be merited, what we can say is, on my best day, I didn't merit it. And on my worst day, I didn't merit it. It's all him. It's all freely given to me. Therefore, when I'm doing great, I don't earn it. And I don't have to um, uh, worry about keeping it up. And when I'm doing terrible, I don't earn it. And therefore, I don't have to worry about it going away. If I didn't get it in the first place, If I didn't earn it in the first place, I don't have to worry about it being taken away. His motivating factor is the good, delightful love that he has for you and for me. Later in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus speaking on this kind of same theme. And he says, hey, little flock. I love that. Like he's like gathering the people in. "Come, Come here, kids. Come here. Don't be anxious, little flock. Just don't be. It is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know what makes God happier than anything? Giving us the kingdom. He loves to give us the kingdom. His motivating factor is his good, delightful love for you and for me. No- nowhere is this more clearly seen than at the cross of Jesus. It is th- this this love, this favor, if you will, it is affected there at the cross, meaning it's put into effect there at the cross. And it is demonstrated there at the cross. If you want to know, does God really look down on me and say, man, I like, I, I appreciated God. Thanks for Christmas. And I'm sure it's like, thank you for all of this kind of stuff. Do you really love me? Do you really love me? The answer is just look at the cross. Look at the cross. In First John chapter 4, verse 10, um, this is what he says. "In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. I didn't wake up one morning and go, God, I love you. You're going to love me back, right? No, no, no. God loved us first. And this is love—not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Big Bible word, propitiation. He pays the debt for us and purchases favor for us. Both of those things. He's paying the debt; we are clear and free. And He is um, uh, paying—excuse me—purchasing favor for us. So now we stand not only right with God, but in God's favor. When we talk about His motivating factor, is His good and delightful love for us. It was effected for us, put into effect by the cross of Jesus. And demonstrated there. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says God demonstrates, present tense verb. He demonstrates right in this moment. You want to know if God loves you? Look at the cross. He demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Before you could do anything good or bad. Before you were even on the scene. He put his love on display for you. So that when you wonder when the shame gets too heavy, when the darkness creeps in, when the thoughts kind of go awry and you're not sure what's going on or when, when you have a bad moment, whatever it may be, you can say, oh God, surely you don't love me in this moment right here. He says, remember, just look at the cross. It was put into effect there and it was put on display there. You ever wonder if Jesus, if God really does love you, just look at Jesus and what he has done for us. Um, on the cross. It is the ultimate expression of his love and his favor. And so his love sent Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor that nobody's overlooked, um, to uh, proclaim liberty to the captives. The debt is paid. To re- proclaim recovery of sight um, to the blind. Now you can genuinely um, see. And to proclaim freedom to those who are oppressed. Um, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And there's only two responses that's it. You only get two responses. Number one, you can reject him. This is what happened actually in the rest of uh, this passage in chapter four, because this is Nazareth. That's Jesus' hometown. And so he's preaching. He does this thing. He's like, today, this is fulfilling your hearing. In other words, this scripture is about me, yo. And they're all like, man, that's awesome. Hold up. Aren't you Joseph's kid? Don't we know you from down the street? Man, I remember, you know, like that kind of thing. And I would just say, it is true. Sometimes he gets rejected because of who he is. Most of the time, they just don't, people who do that for that reason, they don't understand him. They don't understand who he is and what he's genuinely offering. Sometimes it's because of him. My experience, both in my own life as well as in the life of ministry, my experience is most of the time it's because of you. <laughs> he gets rejected because nobody likes being told that they're wrong. Nobody likes being told, nah, dude, you don't have that figured out, right? Nobody likes being told, hey, you're, you're poor, spiritually speaking. You're impoverished, and you're not um, as awesome as you think you are. Nobody likes being told, hey, uh, you're a captive to your sin. And the reason why you can't not do what you do, even though you don't want to do it, is because you love all of that far more than you're giving yourself uh, permission to believe. And therefore, you need somebody to set you free from all that chaos. Nobody likes being told that. Nobody likes being told, man, you're blind and you can't really see what's going on. Oh, I can't too. Nah, not Really? Nope. Nobody likes being told. There are forces at work that are keeping you in place and, and under their power and exploiting you. No, I'm my own person. I'm a full-grown man. Nobody likes being told God freely has love on you, not because you earned it. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, I may not be a first-rounder, but for sure, like, second-rounder, Right? Nobody likes being told that they're wrong. Sometimes they reject him because of him. They don't really understand. Most of the time though, they reject him because of themselves. What the message and ministry of Jesus says about them. But what they find is if they really do, the other option is to receive him. If they really do receive him, Jesus is honest enough with us to say, yes, that's who you are, but it's not who I'm making you to be. I am transforming your life and when you receive him, you receive forgiveness. All the stuff that is in your life that is keeping you from God and keeping you separated not only from God but also others, all the stuff that's uh, toiling inside of you and doing its thing in order to promote darkness and continue promoting darkness, he will forgive you and your debt will be paid. And he will set you free. And you no longer have to live as if you're um, tied to a chair here. And you're just like, oh, I don't think I'm ever going to get anywhere. I guess I'll just hang on, hopefully, till heaven happens. He can set you free. And he wants to. He can bring you into a family. In our um, hyper-connected world, we're n- more lonely than we've ever been. And so he's not just creating a new person through the gospel. He's creating a new people. And he's inviting you to be a part of that as well. And if you want purpose, he offers a life that lasts forever and is indestructible even by death forever. Forgiveness, freedom, a family to be a part of, and a a life that lasts forever. For anybody who receives him, this is what he promises. If you're in the room today and you've never put your trust in Jesus, I want you to know that today can be the day that you have given, uh, that when you give your life to him, that you can have these things. He will give you these things today. If you're watching online, you've never put your trust in Christ. Today can be the day. And furthermore, church family, we have the opportunity to take this with us to the places where we get to go. To declare the love that God has for us. So I'm going to offer a prayer and we'll have a moment to respond and just kind of let this sink into us and then uh, we will um, be dismissed here in just a couple of moments. But first, let's pray. Uh, Father, what I hope for um, right now is that the things that have been said would indeed kind of sink down where they need to go, settle in on us. There are certainly um, uh, perversions, that's the right word of the message and of your love. But God, what what we hear from Jesus is an invitation to be transformed. And so I pray for every person here and every person who's watching online. Father, I ask that you would bring forgiveness and freedom. Draw people into a family. Give them a life that lasts forever. And Father, I, I pray that um, as you do the work by your Holy Spirit uh, to bring this to bear on us wherever it needs to be brought to bear, um, that we would hear you whisper all along the way that you love us. You God, oh, how you love us. Uh, thank you for Christmas, for the miracle of the Messiah coming and us getting to live with him today and forever. Continue to minister. Do what you want to with us in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen and amen.